0: i Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, Technical Interviews with Prominent Women in Tech. In 2016, Pokemon Go, an augmented reality game, was released. The level of popularity it reached was more than the expected. This provided interesting technical challenges to make sure that it was available to millions of people. Aparna Sinha, Group Product Manager at Google, and Don Chen, Software Engineer Tech Lead at Google, explained how Kubernetes enabled Pokemon Go to quickly scale. We talked about what Kubernetes is and its architecture. Aparna and Don also talked about the latest Kubernetes 1.7 release. Both Aparna and Don will be at CloudNativeCon and KubeCon on December 6 to 8 in Austin, Texas. This is a conference with leading technologists from the open source cloud native communities. You can find out more about this conference by going to events.linuxfoundation.org, or also on thewomenintechshow.com. There's a menu option for Cloud Native Con. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Aparna, Group Manager for Kubernetes at Google, and Don, Tech Lead for Kubernetes at Google, are joining us today. Aparna and Don, welcome to the Women in Tech Show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And uh, thank you for having us. Today, we're going to be talking about Kubernetes and later on about the latest release, 1.7. Before we begin to talk about this, last year, Pokemon Go was released and It exploded in popularity. I used it and I saw a lot of people were using it. And I saw that Kubernetes was what helped bring Pokemon Go to millions of players, becoming the largest ever Kubernetes deployment on Google Container Engine. I'm curious, what would Pokemon Go have had to do to scale as quickly as they did
1: if they hadn't had Kubernetes. What would that process have looked like? So let me try to address one part of that question, and then I'll hand it over to Don. You know, one of the things with a gaming application that uh, takes off, suddenly becomes very popular, and then has to release in multiple different countries is that I think the public cloud capability is extremely important. So it's very difficult to, you know, have a private data center that can also allow you to launch with low latency in Japan and in uh, Europe and in North America. So I think one of the biggest capabilities that was important uh, for the Pokemon Go launch and global rollout was the global nature of Google's public cloud. Um, So the fact that they could easily introduce availability in Japan and uh, then South America and so forth is because of the global network, uh, the low latency global network, uh, and the fact that you you can access services with low latency from anywhere in the world. Kubernetes was, in fact, behind it. The main, in particular, it was Google Container Engine. And the main benefit of containers in general is that they're very easy to scale. And then on Container Engine, we actually enabled Pokemon to scale their cluster out. So it grew from a smaller size to a bigger size to accommodate the uh, expansion uh, and delivery. So I guess I would say that's how it worked. Um, Don, if you want to Uh, Add to that anything about how else they could have done it if they weren't on public cloud a
2: uh, did a really good summary about uh, why we can help and it to grow a Pokemon uh, Go. And another thing I want to just add, it, I call what he said, it is the consistency. So, for the Kubernetes, because it is the wild defined uh, cluster management API, and then it's easy, it's wild accepted by the cloud the provider, and so it's easy to manage those cluster and. And to the no matter it is the Japan or it is the US or Europe. And it's for the company actually at the same consistent view and the same consistent control plan. And it's very, very portable and easy extended. And we also provide rich features, like okay, if based on your work, your node of the request, we can easily extend it to increase of your cluster size and easy to start the speech. Bring out a new cluster, all those kind of things, and make that it make that we become to our choice for their choice.
0: So a lot of what Kubernetes help with, from what I'm hearing, is the global nature of the project itself that makes it easily available in different countries as well as management of clusters and deployment. So if we had this Pokemon Go launch, for example, ten years ago, it likely would not have been able to scale as
1: quickly and globally as it did, right? I think it would have been a more manual and slower effort. Okay.
0: Let's talk now about a little bit about the basics of Kubernetes and more on why it was the right abstraction for Pokemon Go. As we mentioned before, and as Don mentioned, part of Kubernetes is involved in the deployment process of an application. I want to ask both of you, How was this done in the past?
1: Deployment of an application. Okay, sure. the deployment of an application uh, in the past depends how far back you go, but even as of uh, a couple of years ago or even potentially last year, and it may still be the case in some companies even today, when you created a new application, let's say that you tested it and you think that it's ready for production, you know you would place an order for hardware or you would place a ticket with your IT team and they would provision either virtual machines on existing hardware or new hardware, depending on what the scale was. So you Typically, put in a request to your operations team and they provision the relevant capacity. And then um, that can take whatever time it takes depending on your company's processes. If it's physical machines, it takes a long time. If it's virtual machines, um, it probably still can take uh, a day or you know several hours, depending on whether they have a private cloud or not. And then uh, you would start to roll out your application in new environment. Essentially, you know, you after you had provisioned the uh, virtual machine and you had gotten all of the dependencies of the application installed, you know, having to do with the appropriate operating system and the appropriate packages on the operating system. Then, when the environment was ready, then you would deploy your application, and then you would have to test it significantly in production before you could actually go live, you know, because the environment is different than um, the environment in which you developed the application. So uh, many things could go wrong, and sometimes uh, you may not hit your target rollout date. The time frame from the uh, time you finish testing and developing to when you uh, launch in production, it varies depending on your infrastructure, but in some companies, it could be as long as two months. In other places, it can be much shorter depending on, uh, you know, if they have a private cloud and a CI/CD system or not. With Kubernetes and with containers, that time frame is much more accelerated. Um, You can do it in minutes. Uh, Potentially, if you want to roll out a new version, that can be several times a day, tens of times a day, uh, that you can upgrade, you know, an existing application. Mm -hmm. And certainly also deploying new applications, if you've developed and tested them, putting them in production is no different because if you containerize the applications essentially gives you a portability and like for like between your dev environment and the production environment, which greatly speeds up the development process. Also, since you don't have to provision a new VM, you know, you're just basically have a container in a cloud, certainly in a public cloud, it's just a couple of minutes to start up a new cluster. If you need a new cluster, or if it's deploying in an existing cluster, then, um, you know, you just deploy a new service in an existing cluster. Mm -hmm. So it's considerably faster in the Kubernetes world.
0: Yeah, so we've eliminated a lot of the manual steps like opening tickets, placing orders, and you've mentioned containerizing and containers. A container is a deployable unit for holding a service. You also mentioned virtual machine, and there's also the old way of putting an application was in the physical host machine. Why does it make management simpler by using a container versus a virtual machine or putting the application directly on the
2: host. Let me answer this is done and let me answer this one so uh because uh, in this concept of the new container concept and also the even like the uh, scheduling unit introduced by kubernetes the pod, and so user the as the developer the application developer they don't need to really worry about what the machine it is so they don't need to worry about what they are where they' are run and the machine it is virtual machine VM or it is biomanal machine and it is in which rack, and there's no such no such things. It's just because we have the really clear uh, API to describe the, what's the user, the application owner want, and what's the best of the working environment they want to run to achieve best performance and best services to their user. So the Kubernetes can do the magical work which behind and find that's the best location to run the application and and meet their SLO, they give to the Kubernetes, so they don't need to worry. And when there's the machine is going into trouble, at like the, in the in the old time, the machine in the trouble, and then the administrator or the application owner have to wire those information. They will worry about those kind of things. They may be paged uh, in the very earlier in the morning, and because their application cannot run because machine has some trouble. In Kubernetes, you don't need to worry about those kind of things. It's because the system dynamically reallocates relocate this application to another node and it's ready node and it's a good, healthy node and then the application can run happily from here. And also, because based on this one, because we uncoupled the physical machine, the machine, and to build a virtual compute resource, you can think about the entire of your cluster or entire of the cloud. It is your big virtual machine, they can hold endless of the applications. Right. So when you have like the more node and you require of your application expanded or scale up to take more requests. So Kubernetes actually monitor those kind of things and will decided to scale up and to help you to handle more requests. And also, of course, there's node balance, ingress, uh, all those play the role as part of the Kubernetes stack to uh, meet you, to help you meet your SLO.
0: So you mentioned that all these improvements were part of the Kubernetes concept of the pod in which you can put several containers. What is an example of the types of
1: containers that go together in one pod? Basically, the concept of a pod uh, evolved from Google's experience in running our own applications on the Borg infrastructure for over 12 years. What we found was that it was useful to have certain processes co-scheduled um, at all times. Uh, so the containers, and typically there are two, but there could be more, that are part of a pod, that are grouped together as a pod, um, they have the same network identity for the external world. They have a common sort of storage identity and they're always scheduled together and they appear as local host to each other. So an example might be a web front end and some logging um, for that web front end. And those uh, two should be separate containers that can be uh, debugged separately, um, giving some level of isolation and upgradability, but then they should always be scheduled together. So that's an example of what a pod may be composed of.
0: And like Don mentioned earlier, this notion of the pod is what helps an application scale up and deals with a lot of the management of this process. And another thing that I saw is pods can communicate with each other. A pod can communicate with another pod. What sort of information are they exchanging?
1: Right, so a pod has an IP address in Kubernetes. Um, and that's a fundamental principle and also something that came from uh, Google's uh, experience with Borg. It wasn't the case in other orchestrators before Kubernetes. And I think it has become now a widely accepted mechanism is that each pod has a unique IP address uh, in the cluster. And so pods can communicate with each other using the IP address that's the simplest definition. Pods would communicate with each other for many things. For example, a group of pods may represent the front end of an application. Another group of pods may represent the back end of an application. Back end being, say, a a data store or a database. Uh, And then the front end would communicate with the back end to store data and or retrieve data that would be an example of a north-south communication between pods. Another example could be between multiple different services. So let's say that I have a microservice that is running on one set of pods, call it um, service A, and then another service, service B, running on another set of pods. These two services may need to communicate with each other. This would be an example of east-west communication in a cluster. Again, all of this is based on the network and underlying IP addresses of the pods.
0: And like you mentioned earlier, Kubernetes was started by a team at Google, and it brings a lot of the knowledge from Google. Google also uses container management systems for most of its applications, for example, like Gmail. Does an application like Gmail get the same scalability benefits as something like Pokemon Go, for example?
2: Yes. Um, so actually, um, I was, when I first joined Google, that's the 10 years ago, and I started at the Borg team. So we, over years, and initially when I joined the Borg, it is the, it's not the only Cluster management solution at Google, but over years right now, pretty much we can say all Google services, all Google applications run on top of the Borg, and no matter is the Gmail and the web search and all those kind of things you can think about the Google product, it is run on top of the uh, Borg. And uh, so uh, back to your initial question, and is the Gmail receive the same scalability of the capability like the Pokemon Go, yes, in Google.
0: And when I was reading about Kubernetes and onboarding the Pokemon Go team, like I mentioned earlier, it was one of the biggest deployments. In what ways did Kubernetes have to improve to support this scale?
1: What were the new things that had to be added? Sure, I'll cover maybe uh, some part of that. So your question was when Pokemon Go, you know, the timing was actually very fortuitous because within the Kubernetes community, we had been working on scale. And scale was defined in a very specific way, which has to do with how many nodes can you have in a single Kubernetes cluster while still meeting a tight SLO And the SLO was twofold. One was that you had to achieve less than one second latency for adding a new pod. And then another part of the SLO was, um, I think, less than five seconds or one second API latency. So those two SLO metrics had to be met at the maximum scale, so you know when your cluster had the maximum number of nodes. And when Kubernetes was launched, meaning Kubernetes 1.0, when it was launched, Kubernetes supported basically 100 nodes, so 100 VMs. And that would have been way too small for something like Pokemon Go. So uh, over the course of the two years, I think Pokemon Go launch was around the two-year anniversary of Kubernetes. And now, by the way, we're almost at the three-year anniversary next week. But around the two-year March, We had been working on expanding that limit to a 1,000 and then 2,000 nodes. Now it's actually at 5,000 nodes. So uh, Kubernetes supports 5,000 node clusters. And then if you need more scale than that, then you can have multiple clusters and string them together and spread your service across multiple clusters. But at the time when um, Pokemon Go launched, um, we had just barely released, I think, was it a thousand nodes? I think we had just yes. barely released thousand nodes, and so that was one of the stretches um,
2: mm-hmm. that
1: uh, you know we had to bring in the latest release of Kubernetes and uh, make sure that we had the latest release. We had Pokemon Go running on the latest release of Kubernetes. The other piece was that those clusters should span multiple zones, so making sure that the cluster spanned multiple zones and node pools across different zones. Those were all things that, um, you know, they were features that were in Container Engine, but I would say that they certainly got tested to the limit, and there were certainly some issues found and fixed and so forth with each of those to make sure that Pokemon could be successful.
2: Pana pretty much answered all the enhancement we did over the time for the, uh, to scale, to support, to provide the scalability for the Pokemon Go. And one thing that I want to add, it, uh, because this one it is also because we deploy uh, Pokemon Go. On top of the uh, GKE, and uh, so we actually we have to work with the GCP network team and to provide uh, some new type network uh, scalability, the new network uh, solution to provide a scalability. So, if I remember correctly, and to, on, on that time to deploy of the Pokemon Go, the one issue it is we deploy more sophisticated uh, the HTTPS node balancer uh, to support Pokemon Go. And this is also another one of those scalability things we have.
0: And it sounded that you were already working in parallel with this and just Pokemon Go pretty much accelerated the development of these other features to support more nodes, to have more virtual machines, etc.
2: Yes.
1: Yes, I have one correction to make. Um, I just checked the uh, timeline back in July mm-hmm. uh, of last year. So actually, it was 2,000 nodes. Um, so with Kubernetes 1.3, we supported 2,000 nodes. And previously, it had been 1,000 nodes. So that it was important to get to 2,000 node clusters in order to support the scale.
0: Okay. And we've been talking about the Kubernetes basics, the architecture, the fact that it automates and helps you manage an application. There are two types of applications that can be hosted. One of them is a stateless application and the other one is a stateful. What is an example of
1: a stateful application? So there are many stateful applications, typically stateful applications that run well on Kubernetes tend to be modern scale-out databases and or data stores. So for example, Zookeeper, Console, etcd, these are key value stores. Um, And then applications based on these such as Kafka could be considered a stateful application. But also scale-out databases like MariaDB or CockroachDB, Elasticsearch, um, MySQL, and these are some of the stateful applications that are supported on Kubernetes today. And a stateless application, would it be something like Pokemon Go? I wouldn't necessarily comment on um, Pokemon Go, but a stateless application would be like a web front end, just the front end of a web application, okay. which is a, and then the back end being stateful. A lot of mobile apps as well yeah, fall in the stateless.
2: Like a bad reduced job? like the batch application, or it is the state
0: Is it more challenging to support stateful applications because if a host goes down or something stops working, they have to remember the state or, and certain information that was running at the time prior to a crash?
1: Yeah, the reason that it is challenging to store state um, for containers is just because a lot of the um, – so containers are a mechanism in the Linux operating system to isolate different jobs from each other while having a single sort of unifying operating system kernel underneath these jobs. And the reason why it's so easy to scale containers is because you don't replicate that underlying kernel. Every time you have a new pod, you basically just take the pieces that are specific to that application, not the underlying... Just the processes that are specific to that pod and you create a new pod, but not like, for example, if you created a new VM, you would, you know, uh, have another copy of the whole operating system and all of the uh, dependencies and the full binary for the application. So that enables faster scale out on containers. But at the same time, when you make a change, let's say that you write new data or you make a change to a containerized application or to a pod, it basically creates a new layer with just the delta changes, Um, but that doesn't get saved anywhere. And so a pod can die at any time or a pod can, you know, disappear. (laughs) And um, when that happens, um, you know, that data can be lost. And so unless it is stored to a volume, pods are in general, pods and containers are in general ephemeral resources. And so that's why typically in the early days of containers, users would use containers for stateless applications where you didn't need to store any changes. However, with uh, more modern orchestration systems such as Kubernetes, there is, you is know, first-class support for storage. And so you can save the changes that you make to your container to a volume. It could be a local volume or it could be a network-attached volume or external volume. Mm-hmm. And so that gives you um, some level of state. But then in Kubernetes, we have actually several layers of sophistication above that so that you can provision these volumes, you can grow these volumes, you can automatically um, release the volumes when you're done. So for example, when your pod moves, when you delete your application or you delete your pod entirely, you, know, you can release the storage. Or as the pod moves from one node to another. Again, the benefit of Kubernetes is that it basically takes uh, a set of VMs or nodes what we call nodes, and treats them as a C, and then the pods can move uh, within the C to whatever is the most appropriate location based on a set of policies. So as the pods move, the storage to which they're attached also needs to be automatically reattached to the new node, Mm -hmm. and that's some of the work that Kubernetes does automatically under the hood. So it takes care, we call that storage management, takes care of storage management for you as your application moves and gets scheduled in the most optimal ways on your infrastructure. And then we have even more sophistication on top of that. uh, For example, in the 1.6 release, I talked about dynamic storage provisioning, which became um, stable or generally available in that release. Mm -hmm. Um, And with dynamic storage provisioning, you know, you basically provision storage on demand and you release it on demand. So when your application needs storage, you know, it it appears (laughs) and is available to your pod. And then when you don't need it, it gets deleted. So those are some of the capabilities that have over the years been built into uh, container orchestration, certainly something like Kubernetes to enable stateful applications.
0: And both of you worked on the latest release of Kubernetes, which is 1.7. And I was looking at the website where this announcement was made, and it mentions that part of the changes were motivated by the use of Kubernetes in the most demanding enterprise environments. What is a most demanding enterprise environment.
2: Let me take this question. So, for example, actually the Apella just mentioned a stateful support, work node support, and in the 1.7, we already have a lot of users came to us because, like in the past release, and they said uh, they are really really satisfied how Kubernetes support the stateless application, and they always have some like the some new requirement or wishness uh, from to have the better support for the stateful site. and Application. So every release we are add enhancement to uh for the stateful application. In 1.7 release, particularly, we actually we planning to uh, add a lot of things. Like for example, in this 1.7, we have the stateful site updates and is in beta uh, in 1.7, so which it is allow the automated upgrade updates of the stateful application. And like what uh, just the Apollo just mentioned, like the root and CD all those kind of things and uh, another thing is uh, people ask because the scale when there's the state for site application need to scale up or maybe scale down when the when the work node is drop and also faster startup up for application all those kind of things so we introduce a new uh, a power management of policy and the controller, and which actually it is boost a lot of the performance improvement for the stateful application management. And another thing, it is earlier Apala gave the good example why the at the earlier stage support the stateful application. There's the problem. And the challenge actually is not a problem. It's just a little bit challenge. And people st- prefer start with the stateless. The reason it is the persistent uh, uh, storage, right? So actually, and we have the long time ago, we already have the persistent uh, storage, and we have the storage management, all those kind of things. And but we also have a lot of enterprise customer came to us. They want of the local persistent storage. So in the one point seven, we add that uh, that feature. We have the alpha feature, uh, local storage, and for the stateful application. So with this feature and the user can very easy to access local storage and through the standard uh, our storage management system, and the standard our API.
1: I'd like to add to, you know, you asked what is the most demanding enterprise applications and some of the features in this release um, related to security hardening and extensibility are particularly prevalent in the most demanding enterprise production environments. And you'll see that, um, you know, when we're talking about banks or insurance companies or healthcare or just, you know, compliance and audit conscious institutions that are deploying Kubernetes, they've been asking for some of the features that you'll see here. Like you see in the blog post we talked about audit logs. Um, and the fact that audit logs are now more customizable and extensible with support for event filtering and also for with webhooks so that they can be exported to other front ends and that they provide a richer set of system data for auditing. That's something that a lot of our enterprise customers and users have been asking for. Mm -hmm. Also, the encryption of secrets at rest in etcd, the rotation of certificates on the client and server, those are important to maintain a level of security and compliance within a large enterprise. And then lastly, the other two features, Node Authorizer, which uh, essentially restricts the level of vulnerability within a cluster in the case of, say, a node compromise, um, because is restricted to have access only to objects um, that are scheduled on its nodes. So that restricts the surface area of of an attack. And also network policy, which ultimately is an enabler for multi-tenancy. Those are features that are important for large enterprises because they have multiple teams. uh, They have multiple organizations within the company that may all be sharing a Kubernetes cluster or multiple of them might be sharing a Kubernetes cluster. And it's important to provide robust isolation and security between teams. Mm -hmm you can see how those enterprise um, use cases and requirements have been driving the features in this release. Let's talk before we end
0: about the fact that Kubernetes is open source and is one of the most popular open source projects currently out there. And I saw that it has more than 50,000 commits that have been pushed in three years.
1: What does it take to run a successful open source project like Kubernetes? Yeah, Kubernetes is um, record-breaking in terms of the number of commits, the number of contributors. I believe with this release, we are at 50,000 commits since the since its inception. And as I mentioned, we're about to celebrate the three-year anniversary next week. And so uh, the Velocity really makes it one of the fastest growing open source projects. And uh, there are a few things that we've done. Um, I'm not sure that I'll be able to list all of them, but sort of working backwards um, in chronological order. Uh, one thing that we're doing is we're focusing a lot more on the stability and health of the repository and the way that we're doing that is by um, solidifying what is the architecture of kubernetes and breaking out the repos into sort of a main repo which has the kind of the core or the nuclear components of kubernetes and then breaking out the other pieces which are extensions either ecosystem extensions or underlying infrastructure extensions breaking those out into their own respective repositories and that allows each of those pieces to sort of release at their own schedule in a more agile manner and then also provide stability to the core, making sure that we're moving features in the core um, from alpha to beta and from beta to stable. The other thing we've done is every other release of Kubernetes is, by and large, a stability release. And what we mean by a stability release is where we're focused not on introducing new features, but instead on graduating features and finishing them and finalizing them so that they're ready for production and, that, and so that they stay stable. They don't change after they've matured. So those are two of the kind of more recent actions that the community has taken and aligned on. But, you know, just uh, going back, the whole concept of special interest groups. So we have now over 25 special interest groups. Um, The concept of special interest groups is critical or uh, it's pivotal in the Kubernetes community because those are uh, the decision-making bodies within Kubernetes. There's no sort of top-down decision-making authority. There's no one that tells the community, this is what you should build or this is is how you should build it, or this is when you should deliver it. Instead, it's a delegated model. The people who are working on the features are the people who decide what features they're working on and when they're going to deliver them. Um, and that's really empowering. And the SIGs, the special interest group, are really the both the leadership as well as the execution nucleus within the community. And they're typically, each SIG is a combination of companies and individual contributors that have come together around a specific technology or specific change that they want to see in Kubernetes, and then they work together on that. So I would say those are some of the structural elements that we found useful in managing a project of this nature, of this size, an open source project. I think the other pieces, you know, there are certain roles and responsibilities, mostly volunteer-based, actually all volunteer-based, that are set up in the community and uh, people volunteer and are recognized and their efforts are celebrated. So for example, Don Chen, uh, you know, she contributes her time as the leader of the Node SIG, as well as she... Uh, led the release team for 1.7 and I'll let her talk about some of that because that is essentially service to the open source community.
2: Appena did a good job too and I think I just want I did one thing I think the one part it is in Kubernetes community, we are really serious about uh, the way how we communicate with each other. And we have the code of conduct. And I never see any open source community have those things and so serious about those things and how we are respectful and uh, but uh, openly, transparently debate and discuss about of the uh, roadmap, vision, and the direction for overview of Kubernetes and also e- a special, interesting group. So every time, like for example, take this uh, SIG release team, so we are carry a lot of uh, good uh, inputs and a good process from the previous release team done, have done, but then we kind of listen to, we have the, every release, we have the retrospective meeting and uh, those document what it is from the community to speed up the release and make the release more smoothly, and uh, so those kind of things are well documented. And the release this team actually it is being uh, blessed by on top of those kind of things and a lot of inputs from the community from the user. And uh, so they are very easy to define how to iterate of the release process. For example, this time, and we are more delegate more the release decision or like the feature decision to the SIG group. And uh, for and we are kind of have the checklist from each SIG group. Uh they are agree based on the current state about for the release, no matter it's the feature side or it is the uh, bug fix and also document. So they are the Rini, uh, SIG group and it's all those kind of things and then come back. And then release team is just aggregator and uh, take action upon all those feedbacks and inputs and generate a result to the community and to the users. So a lot of things we just want to see like because we have the good uh, working environment, good culture and so that's why we can leverage off the community and volunteer and to take uh, action sure to stand up and take extra step to push a project to move forward and move faster. So those kind of things.
0: Yes. And you mentioned the existence of the code of conduct to guarantee that it's a healthy environment where people can communicate on the improvements and share their ideas. What about the process of maintaining a high standard for the code base? How is that enforced?
2: so in the kubernetes actually yeah high standard of the quality and uh, and easy to find the problem actually it is uh, we the kubernetes community is like the, always the top one of the top issues and also our concern the topic we talk about so if you notice that and actually we have the public accessible uh Text grid, and uh, we build uh, like the community spend a lot of time like the uh, upon early mentioned that each release like every other release it will be uh, stable or reliability improvement release or and another one it is will be feature release so we every release uh, for all those stability release we spend a lot of time to working on uh, uh improve of the test coverage and uh, if you notice that actually on the cluster we have the conform test and on the node we have also have the node conform test and so we can help the user to uh, test of those kind of things and we also have the continuous uh, integration test and we have the entire of the test infrastructure every PR so it's going to have the PR pre-submit test running a set of the test running and we care for the community as the whole. We have the we also have the sick test team and which define of the test criteria for the other component. And we also have the EGC group. We are in the process to uh, have the C group, EGC group uh, centric of the test suite, and they have to take ownership. And if the any test is failed, there will be take action. And if people monitor our GitHub repository closely, you can always see a lot of those flaky test a broken test is always is the, our top priority and will be engineer jump into Immediate address those problems, and uh, back to this release. And uh, actually, we are raise a uh, high bar on the release the test. So every alpha release, we define what kind of the uh, site of the test should be passed. And uh, for the uh, for the alpha, every alpha release and every beta release. So even and all those flaky tests we need to either fix those tests or it is remove and and stale test, or it is just figure out what's going on and uh, then understand what's going uh, what I was saying. we also kubernetes community we actually invest a, a team to help us to build off the more advanced of the test infrastructure mm-hmm. so all those kind of things you can see actually how we care about of the quality release quality. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also, in the release time, the whole release cycle, actually, we also have the down meeting. And in the down meeting, everyone can join and raise their concern about release, either release blocker, or it is a flaky test, or it is the submit queue issue and block their work. So all those kind of things, we are openly discussed there, and then we take action based on those inputs.
0: So a lot of the system that, was already being done at Google is just brought to the open source community to make this a successful project. Yes. Okay. Well, Aparna and Don, thank you for taking the time to come on the show today to talk about Kubernetes and the latest release and Pokemon Go.
2: Thank you. Nice to talk to you.